in this edition of Hoopsology, Matt and Justin welcome premier sports agent, entrepreneur, best-selling author, and CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Holdings, Lee Steinberg. Lee talks about his favorite basketball memories, the evolution of athletes adopting to social media and NIL, the rising salary of the NBA, and a lot more. As you know, he is the inspiration behind Jerry Maguire. So this talk with Lee was fantastic. I think you'll learn a lot just about the business of the NBA and just sports overall. Please email your questions to HoopsologyPod and follow us on all social media platforms. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave us a review on iTunes if you love our content. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Lee Steinberg. He is a premier sports agent, entrepreneur, best-selling author, and CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Holdings. We welcome Lee Steinberg onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Lee? It's going great. Nice to be with you. And thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. And we usually start off just our podcast because we are we are basketball focused, which was a passion of just not only the NBA, but basketball culture overall. We just want to get our guests insight into, you know, the, the game of basketball. So uh, what is your first basketball memory or favorite basketball memory over the years? Uh, whatever you want to take the question. My father played basketball at UCLA. And so from the time I was a little kid, I was dragged to Bruin games and uh, they happened to win a whole bunch of national championships. So from the days of Walt Hazard to uh, through, uh, I went to UCLA for a year and I sat behind Lou Alcindor who later became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But I was a UCLA basketball fan. I was raised as a Laker fan. Jerry West was a picture atop my bed when I later represented Byron Scott in a negotiation with Jerry. I said, this is completely unfair. I can't negotiate with someone whose picture hung above my bed when I was a kid. (laughs) um, But... Lakers and then later Clippers and uh, a Southern Californian. But um, then I went to Berkeley. I started rooting for Cal basketball. We had Jason Kidd at a certain point. But um, uh, I've loved the excitement and, uh, uh, and electricity of basketball since I was young. So you have a vast amount of knowledge just of sports in general, but of basketball specifically, just based on your answer. I just want to kind of get your overall this opinion of what you've noticed just now, just the, the current uh, the game professionally within the NBA, just in terms of the player empowerment era, just how you know players are using their own platforms in terms of social media and podcasts and other, you know, kind of getting more in the media space as well as still uh, participating, you know, in their careers as well. Um, kind of what's your overall opinion of compared to, you know, the eighties and nineties in which, you know, that wasn't possible. So I think that there've been two dramatic breakthroughs and changes in this time. And the first has been the advent of social media. It's players being able to create their own brand on the multiple platforms of content supply. So it's, TikTok and LinkedIn and and Instagram and their ability to brand themselves really at a very early age and come up with a logo and come up with uh, content and the ability to address their fans uh, uh, themselves without a filter, without relying on newspapers or television or radio uh, to do it. That's been a 
major uh, uh, major uh, change. You you now have NILs on college campuses, which means that you have players uh, who are playing college basketball, but even in high school who are already thinking about marketing and and the future um, in a whole lot of different ways. Um, you have the NBA as a terrific TV uh, product, but you have the advent of things like fantasy sports and, you know, fantasy basketball. You've got um, people able to watch games on their, on their little phone. Um, so the ways in which you can follow the NBA are much more varied and they've been the leader in merchandising with style and their merchandising and memorabilia is absolutely great. So it's all changed. <clears throat> and plus you have athletes with a shorter attention span because they're brought up on big screen computers, multitasking, and uh, you can see their fingers twitch because they uh, are thinking about what they're gonna next text. Lee, do you think from what you have observed, do those changes also equate to a more business savvy athlete as well uh, in that they're thinking about branding and, and that message earlier in the game? Yes. And basketball has always been a sport where maybe in football, you can't spot the top quarterback till a junior year, but in basketball <clears throat> at 10 or 11 or 12, the players are focused on they're individualized. They, uh, you know, play in AAU. They, they, uh, have favorite shoes, and they do think of themselves as businessmen and as part of an empire. And basketball lends itself to that because you can see the whole body of the player, um, unlike the other sports. And importantly, every one of us wears tennis shoes. And so the shoe contracts uh, bring those businesses larger than life into, into our home. So yeah, the whole way in which um, uh, the athlete uh, matures is been sped up because they're sitting there 12 or 13 years old thinking themselves as a, as a potential uh, a star and they have marketers and people around them doing that too. So much earlier, I mean, it all started with, uh, with players coming early out of high school. Um, and now even with one and done, they still are very quickly absorbed in the league. So at all the time chronology got pushed backwards. Would you say with basketball, you mentioned that extra exposure um, and that, that players, you can see, I guess more transparently, their career, their branding. Um, nowadays, they're typically more open to sharing that. Um, does is that tougher in a sense compared to like potentially um, your your average football player? Maybe not quarterbacks. Maybe outside of that, like skills positions. Um, does it make it tougher on them or more complicated to, uh, I guess, build that brand or to build that management team around them to be successful with the extra exposure that they're opening themselves up to? Well, let me put it this way. In our football practice at one time, we had 90 clients and we're able to 
represent them all well. In basketball, I mean, I started with uh, Greg Anthony back in 1992 and then uh, did a player named Austin Crozier and then a little bit of Byron Scott and then a player named Wayne Simeon. You could only have a limited amount of basketball players mm-hmm. because they were the center of their own world and they would call you every day. <laughs> they were high maintenance clients. So there's no doubt that even the dominant forces in basketball representation don't have 50 or 60 clients because each one is the center of a little microcosm and uh, requires a lot of care and feeding. Lee, I, I want to touch on a point that you mentioned earlier, and that is that in basketball in particular, uh, athletes are really focused on their brand a lot earlier. Does that mean that when a lot more opportunity comes their way, when they're a senior in high school or entering college or deciding to go to the G league or professionally, that they're going to be less susceptible to, I guess, a lot of the pitfalls that, you know, Matt and I witnessed when we were kids in terms of athletes investing their money in just all kinds of different business ventures in which, you know, they pay the price in terms of their bad investments. Are you seeing, are you seeing athletes nowadays becoming more, savvier in terms of their brands and what they invest their money in once they become like, you know, heading into the professional. It's all a function of how much help they have in picking the cast around them. If they have their parents involved or they're doing it through a school or they have a coach involved, then they're likely to get a financial planner who will school them on how to budget, will help them with financial literacy, will make sure that they don't assume they're going to be making this amount of money for a lifetime, but but do a financial plan that makes sense. So it's totally a function of if, if they have help in the process, if they have parents and other people, um, then they're going to make better choices and they won't make the mistakes. It's They're very conscious of the fact, going back to, Abdul-Jabbar that athletes have had these problems and so I think you find a contemporary player is much better sheltered from financial problems. So Lee, I want to shift gears and I want to ask you about the Brooklyn Nets. Um, they've been through a lot of turmoil this season, um, but they have bounced back. Um, they're at the top of the Eastern Conference as we're recording this podcast. And I just want to get your perspective on what a player goes through <clears throat> when they're dealing with like a teammate, dealing with a lot of controversy, or there's turmoil in terms of the coach being let go in the middle of this season. Like what is you know their perspective on it just, you know, dealing with that mentally so they can perform their best on the court. Are they talking to you for advice? Like kind of what's that process like when there's turmoil within an organization? Oh, absolutely. Players will be spending time talking about it. And here you had two stars that <clears throat> were in constant conflict with the way in which they were being used. And um, I read a quote somewhere where a scout said that he had watched like 10 separate occasions where Nash called the play and uh, the scout watched Kyrie Irving doing something completely different. Um, so <laughs> there was a conflict in how to uh, play the game. So would a client be talking with you about this? Absolutely. And 
what happened is when that coach left, the players went back to playing their natural style. And I think since she was fired, they've been like 27 and 12. And so uh, it made a big difference. And the thing about basketball is so many fewer players that if a fundamental relationship is flawed, you then you're going to have real problems. And in, in terms of conflict resolution, I mean, they're, I, I assume they have like a whole, you know, PR team around them, coaching them on how to present themselves around the media after games, things like that. What is that process kind of like? And um, I mean, I, I assume you guys have like a very big counseling role as well if, if you're working on with a client in a situation under turmoil like that. So you have two levels of this. You have how the team's going to respond to it and their general manager and their, I mean, someone like Jerry West would, would find a way to smooth things over between Shaq and Kobe and get them to play together. So You've got certain general manager types or coach types who are pretty adept at that. You've got media advisors and all that. Um, I always advise the players to go directly to the coach and to uh, not air the problems publicly because you can find solution uh, behind the scenes where everyone is not defensive, but can you... um, uh, the minute you you turn something into a public issue, it metastasizes with everyone in the world asking questions. It just exacerbates the situation. You can uh, work out trades. You can uh, work out ways to help unhappy players. All of that uh, behind the scenes. So I would encourage a player to sit down and talk about problems with the uh, way the offense is played in which the players utilize. Now, maybe there's some compromise you can make between the coach's approach or something else. But given the fact that you're uh, you're all stuck together, at least for that season, <laughs> it uh, it makes sense to to do the thing that will make someone most productive. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I also just anecdotally my own personal opinion it seems like in this player empowerment era you know if if you want to label that like lebron's decision and on or whatever we want to say with that but the modern era of the nba it does seem almost like there is this counter unintended effect where the players are so involved in the narrative that a, a lot of times it seems like organizations almost either skate free or take less blame than they used to. Is is that a trend that you find or do you still well, see it being fairly balanced? You asked uh, at the top of this show about differences and trends in the NBA. And one of them is the players having the power to assemble their own cast or have more to say about who they trade for, who they draft and everything mm-hmm. else. And you've got the players as powerhouses um, with the ability to influence a general manager, influence a team, go directly to solve this. This doesn't happen this much in other sports. In other Mm. words, nobody is uh, sitting there on the uh, uh, L.A. Rams uh, as a player packaging trades. They're not finding 
uh, if you're Matt Stafford, you're not going out and finding the best wide receiver, the best running back. It's not that you don't have input on that, but outside of franchise quarterback, there's nobody as important to his team as a major star is to a basketball team. And so um, they get to a point where, first of all, they're financially well healed. Um, I mean, some of these stars, whether it's, uh, you know, Durant or Kawhi Leonard or, or uh, Kobe are, have been so well paid for so many years, they're not just millionaires, you know, they're multi-multi. And so they've got <clears throat> that security. So um, this power dynamic, uh, big star organization is altered. And uh, in certain cases, um, you know, the player is able to get involved in all sorts of issues that his predecessors never would have uh, assumed or presumed that they could have done. That's very interesting that you, you mentioned that. And I, I, I know a well-known incident that began <laughs> at the beginning of the season was Draymond Green with his teammates. So he went on his platform and explained, you know, his side of the story, he put on a, like a mini documentary on, you know, on NBA on TNT. Like, how do you address that situation? Because you mentioned, you know, in terms of any conflict within the <laughs> roster or coaches. Yeah, by telling the player not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By telling the player that you don't want to air that dirty linen, um, it's uh, it's a direct relationship one on one between the player and the teammate, and to um, and to uh, be able to to work it out. That's only gonna make things worse because in relationships between people, one party starts to defend himself that triggers the other party to defend himself it's like the texting when you text something slightly uh, misunderstood by the own party and they come back with something tougher and they come back and all of a sudden the relationship was fine but now you have a text war i want to get your opinion on the rise of uh, sports gambling um, it, it's been, it's, it's really blown up in popularity since the pandemic. And I just want to get your thoughts from, from a player perspective. What do they think about this? Are they kind of, do they not even pay attention to what's happening just in terms of the commercials and so, you know, side games well, or just the influence? Like what is, what's your opinion on that? I mean, this has all happened so fast because for years, the biggest fear of professional sports was involvement with gambling. Because then somebody might think that a player or an official was compromised and the games were somehow shaded or fixed. And pro sports can survive bad player behavior, can survive a whole lot of things, but it can't survive the concept that somehow the games are not played on an even playing field or court. So um, gambling is here. I mean, you're going to start to see it happening inside stadia, which it doesn't happen to can be on the phone. And you now have franchises in different sports that are in bed with DraftKings, that are in bed with casinos. So it's here, but players have to be careful <clears throat> to stay disinvolved and not be part of it. 
Lee, on on the future of sports side of things, wanted to get your thoughts. We we just saw the Phoenix Suns being sold recently. Values of NBA franchises continue to increase, as well as values of TV contracts. Um, is there any scenario where, I, or I guess any any ceiling you could potentially see to the value of these sports franchises, or it, I mean, it just seems certainly in my lifetime and and even before that, it's just been a constant, continual appreciation and value. Do you see that trend continuing well into the future? I think it will because <clears throat> I think that television uses sports to build their Monday through Friday broadcasting. So they show the promos. Um, I was watching a football game on Sunday and CBS had every single show that I ever wanted to show. And the point is they lose money on the rights fees, but they pick it up on more viewers Monday through Friday in the bottom line network or uh, or it's pay per view in some way censorship. So because sports still delivers the money from advertising contracts is going to continue to go up and up and up. And um, um, stadiums seem to be sold out most different places. I mean, your danger always is that if you don't have player people ex- going to games or experiencing it live, you um, eventually it cuts down your your support. So I think they'd be intelligent to keep some tickets for young people and working families in uh, an arena uh, <clears throat> so you could sustain the future. But other than that, no memorabilia, marketing, revenue coming from Stadia, from those arenas, uh, uh, so many different ancillaries of uh, uh, day of game experience um you know with the arena being surrounded by other contiguous businesses and things that allow you to stay in the moment i think it just continues to go up unless the entire economy crashed and and uh, no longer are there advertisers and and what are your thoughts on the way that social media plays into that i mean i know there are a lot of just to stick with basketball nba fans who maybe only exclusively watch through you know short twitter clips or or things like that nba vine was super popular back several years ago when vine was still around um but is is there still just kind of value in having your network attached to that property that's being tweeted about even if you're not necessarily you know, profiting off of that social media content? Absolutely. And so remember, this is all extra. This is all new. This is all in addition to going to a game or uh, watching it on television. This is Hmm. all those things just stimulate um, uh, interest in basketball. Gotcha. Lee, um, I just have one last question, at least from me. And you're talking about NIL, and we've had some other guests express their concerns about how NIL is affecting other sports. And I want to get your opinion on kind of, do you see any pitfalls with NIL in particular to the sport of basketball in terms of what you mentioned? A lot of kids, you know, thinking about marketing at a very young age and just the concept of amateurism in terms of just college athletics. Um, Do you see any negatives in terms of NIL now in terms of right now you have 
never really seen that much regulation that's in terms of how players are able to you know receive deals well i think that one of the unanticipated consequences is the fact that it's usually recruiting so take that top basketball player in high school he's got to go to college for one year but big groups of alums get together and you know if you're at ucla or indiana or any big basketball school they can get together and offer that recruit three million dollars worth of deals his one and done year and so all of a sudden it's going to change college basketball because the top five conferences the the big basketball schools that have more alums, that have more uh, uh, people that can put up money through their businesses, will have a recruiting advantage. So all of a sudden, you know, if you're Duke or if you're Kansas or if you're uh, UCLA or, or Kentucky, and you have this dedicated alumni base, all of a sudden they can, in essence, buy you uh the rights to the biggest uh uh recruit in the country lee such a pleasure to have you on the show please let our listeners know um any projects that you are working on and where they can follow you on social media find your work well we always have sports agent academies um, that we where we teach younger people in sports career conferences and they can look at um, uh, sports uh, Steinberg, uh, Steinbergspeaks.com to check all that out. We're doing a big uh, Super Bowl party that people are buying tickets for um, that's uh, uh, coming up in a couple weeks where we're giving a lot of money to charity but it's sort of fun to come and you can um i'm on at steinberg speaks on twitter and linkedin and and all your uh normal uh platforms awesome thank you so much lee pleasure to have you again thank you so much for your time my pleasure nice talking with you